Welcome to the Boy Open Up Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Hildreth. With me, as always, is my incredible co-host, Christine Stacy. We just want to remind everybody the views and opinions here that we express are those solely of our own and nobody else's. Today, we are going to paint a picture why we're even doing this podcast. And I think everything comes out of story. And as humans, we have really dynamic powerful, multifaceted stories. Everything that we learn and grow and who we become really is shaped by those stories. So we're Mm going to start off with Doug telling us a little bit more of his story. So we're going to do this in three parts. He has quite the story uh, and I think it's important that we really do a good job of understanding it. We're going to do part one today and I hope you come back and join us for part two and three. Tell us a little bit about how you came to be, literally. Well, when you say that, (laughs) right, I think what you're really getting at is, let's talk about the relationships in your life as a child. Yeah, literally. And the the dynamics of those relationships as a young, young child. Yep, we're going to talk about, yeah, go back, uh, let's see, 25 years. Right, before I was even 10 years old. Like, we're going to talk about what was childhood like. Yeah, like, when you came into this world, what sure. was going on? So, when I came into the world... When were you born? I was born in 85. All right. When I came into the world, I was born to a substance-abusing mother, used during pregnancy and, and all that kind of stuff. My father was very much present in my life. My parents weren't married. He was very, very active and involved and and they're married today and have been for 30 years so there is a happy ending to this story at the time my mom was very unhealthy and bringing a child into the world when you're a damaged person is a tricky thing to do so question for you you told us that your parents were not married at the time Mm -hmm. and you are the firstborn yeah yeah oldest hero child okay so were they planning to have you no Definitely was not a in a, an intended experiment. Okay. <laughs> I was the product of what happened in the 80s when people hooked up. Okay. And one thing I will say about that is that I was a surprise. I wasn't an accident. My dad has always said that he knew the moment he saw my mom, she was the woman he was going to spend the rest of his oh, life wow. with. And if you ask him, he will tell you that. She did not feel the same way at that time. And even she would say that. Now, they are remarkable people and they have an incredible love story and they love each other very much. The way they began, though, was unhealthy. And the way they began was just really a product of the environment they were in and they were raised in, which is what we're talking about right now. So it's kind of fascinating that you would say that and bring it up. The parallels of the, of the two worlds are not lost on me. Right. So tell us a little bit about what it was like to grow up with them. Was, did they live together? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. My parents, we moved to this area in the, in the Valley when I was one, my dad worked all the time to try and take care of us. He really did. Like he's always been a provider very, very hardworking man. I, I know 100% that's a lot of where I get my drive from is from him. He is the hardest working person I know. That was one thing for him that was always going to be was food on the table for his family. The problem with that was 
my mom was then left to be the provider of care. And my mom was really sick. She was obviously, like I've said, a substance abuser. She was emotionally abusive and physically abusive because that is what she was raised in. That was how you dealt with things. It was just the di- the dynamics of it. My dad was the provider, right? We were such a leave it to beaver family on the outside and that the man went to work okay. and brought home the food and provided the shelter and the mother raised the children. In our family, unfortunately, that was not what was best for everyone. Right. So tell me a story. Like, what was childhood like? It was chaotic. As a child, though, when you're surrounded by chaos and when you grow up in chaos, you become used to chaos. An example of that specifically would be, my mom was just a loose cannon anything could set her off at any minute. So it could be driving to school and one of us asking for something and she would fly into a rage. I can remember it was my ninth or 10th birthday party. We'd gone out as a family and gone bowling. We were leaving the bowling alley and one of my friends had gotten popcorn from the popcorn machine. And I just simply asked, can I get some popcorn for the ride? And that led my mom to throwing us in the car and driving home with reckless abandon. And I mean terrifying speeds on the back roads, reminding me that it was my fault that she had to drive this way because I was such a bad kid. Right. Because you asked for popcorn. Because I asked for popcorn. And it was horrifying. And it's not a joke. Like we were going over these back road hills on the way home and our car left the ground a couple times. One of my friends was no longer ever allowed to ride with us in a car because he went home and told his parents what had happened. They were in the car? Yes, I had friends in the car. That was just mom. Mom was just all of a sudden, she was the funnest parent in the world oh, yeah. or she was the craziest parent in the world. This is the same woman and I love her to death. She is one of my best friends in the world today who taught me how to sneak out of the house because she wanted to go out and and party. And so she would let me and my friends on the weekend, she would teach us how to sneak out of the house while my dad was sleeping. And she would drop us off at the arcade in town and let us play arcade games all night while she was doing her thing. And then she'd come pick us up and we'd all sneak back into the house together. As long as it was our little secret, 10, 11. So I was just learning these life skills, man, from the people around me. And then you pivot, and I have this other place where I go, and all the relationship is is abuse. So can you can you back up first though and tell us the story like? Yeah, my grandfather was sexually abusive to me, and so was one of my cousins. Okay, and this is another place you went. Yeah, it was in you know my family. My mom is from Southern Oregon originally. Okay. So that's what's really weird about it is we would go down there, and I would get dropped off for the summer. Okay, how old were you? Young, like four. That was when it started, and I would just stay down there for the summer with my grandparents for two, three, four weeks at a time, and then my mom would come back and spend a few days, and, you know, we'd go home. So you said you went there in the summertime when you were little? Yeah. Okay, multiple summers? Oh, yeah, this happened until I was almost 10 years old. Okay. The sad thing about it is is that he was just a really sick man, and he perpetuated his sickness and inflicted it upon me. And that's the really shitty part of it. And and I had a cousin who also did the same thing. 
it's taken me years to get to a place where I can talk about it and not be angry or rageful or vengeful and just know that they were just sick. It doesn't make what happened okay, but it's taken me 25 years to get to a place where I genuinely have peace with what happened. And I know that the experience has given me the ability to help others make peace with what happened. For that, there is some gratitude in me that I survived the experience. There is still times where I genuinely wish, obviously, that it never happened. And I didn't have to remember it. And I didn't have to think about it. And I didn't have to be triggered by things that bring up those memories because they're incredibly difficult to navigate. So did you ever talk to anyone? No. We didn't talk. remember as a, yeah, as a little boy? We didn't talk about things in our family. You can't. See, when there's trauma and abuse, there's no way to lovingly confront that and correct that behavior. I didn't want to do any of that and rock the boat with my parents. It's hard to describe, but I felt like I was protecting everyone by keeping the secret. I felt like I was doing the right thing, and I say that in quotations, by keeping the secret and keeping the peace. Because I kept thinking that if I allowed it to happen to me, and I didn't tell anybody else about it, that I was going to be able to somehow stop it from happening to others because it was never going to happen to anybody else after me. Hmm. Because I knew I was going to be the last one. And that was just the way you interpret it as a eight, nine, ten year old? Yeah. Huh. It's fascinating. Okay, so you've you've painted a little bit more of the picture of growing up in your house and uh summers you went down to the southern Oregon. Yep. You haven't told us much about you. What were you like as a child? I was a hoot. <laughs> I was I was I was a mess. I was also a lot of fun as a kid. I have a big personality and anybody that knows me knows that. I have a I do. Like I just have a big effervescent personality. I love to make people laugh. I love to make people smile. And I believe a lot of that was born because I was so uncomfortable mm-hmm. as a child that I wanted to bring joy into other people's lives. It's also because I had genuine love in my life and safety from somebody else that helped raise me. So I had this great grandma who lived in, you know, our small town where my parents lived. Mm -hmm. And she was a part of my life every single day from the day I was one year old. She was where I went to, went to her house in the morning before school. She would walk me to school and then I would walk back to her house, her apartment, or she would come to school and pick me up and we would walk back. She never drove a car a day in her life. She was a really fascinating woman. She was a four-foot, 11-inch tall, Italian-American, uh, you know, Jew- little Jewish lady. Oh, wow. Like, just the most fascinating combination of of passion and love. And she loved kids. She had volunteered at the elementary school in town until the day she died in the Center for Teaching and Learning and and working with kids and teaching kids with speech impediments how to read and speak better. She was just an awesome woman. Hmm. She was very actively engaged in my life, and anybody who follows me on social media has seen me post stuff about her, videos of her. She was literally my biggest cheerleader in the world. And I mean, when I got into youth sports and playing, like 
she would come to my games, stand on the sidelines, and all of a sudden you would hear two, four, six, eight, who do we appreciate? And it was this 75-year-old <laughs> little woman on the sidelines rolling her hands and jumping in the air and cheering. Aww. And she was incredibly active because she'd never driven anywhere. So she walked everywhere her whole life. Yeah. So she was uber fit. Huh. When I wanted to play soccer after school until my, because my parents, right? Like my mom was an active addict and by this time she had a job and was out, but she was also out getting loaded. Yeah. My dad would be working. Okay. He would be working all of the time trying to keep the, the account balanced because my mom was spending money faster than he could make it at that time. His earning power was not able to stay up with her using power. Right. <laughs> which left me to be with my great grandma. Okay. So she basically raised me until I was about 12 years old. Okay. I was there every morning in the morning before school and every day in the afternoon after school. We were best friends. Yeah. She would play soccer with me in the backyard. I didn't even like soccer, but I loved doing things with her. Yeah. <laughs> and she'd kick a ball and run around. And this woman was in her mid-70s, wow. which was just really cool. Whenever we wanted to go do something, that was kind of our thing. She would wa We would walk over to McDonald's and right. get a Happy Meal. Yeah. And I would play on the play structure for a little while. And then we would stop at Bymart on the way home. And she would buy me a G.I. Joe toy. Oh, wow. That was like our thing. And I had the most epic collection of G.I. Joes inside her apartment and I would just play these giant battle scenes and act it all out and those are the things I was into as a kid and comic books and there was a little baseball card store okay. right at the corner not far from her house that we would walk up to and and she would just let me just hang out for hours and she had no problem with it she would literally I didn't ever have any money yeah and she didn't have much either yeah. And she would just stand in that card store with me while I read every, they were called, it's a Beckett magazine that would tell you card numbers, values, and I would just read through them and try to find them and tell her all about all the cards I was going to buy someday. Yeah. She was awesome, man. That's awesome cool. woman. All right. So you've painted a pretty good picture of your childhood. Is there anything that you feel like would help everyone know a little bit more about you or just a significant part of your childhood. So eventually my mom got clean and sober. Okay. And this was a big key in our lives and, and in my childhood. It was really an odd turning point. I was 12 years old. Okay. My dad flew home early from a business trip hmm. and surprised us. And it was late, middle of the night. You know, we were in bed, my sister and I. And he came home and found my mom using drugs the way my mom used drugs and she had kept it pretty well hidden mm. for a very long time and for whatever reason it was the perfect timing for my dad to show up and catch her in the act mm. he recognized that the problem was beyond where intervention seemed really likely yeah. and he gave her the ultimatum and he just said you're going to go into somewhere and you're going to get help or i'm taking the kids and i'm leaving mm. and that was it he was like i'm done and miraculously, she went and got the help, and she's maintained that sobriety since that day. Wow. Which is incredible. Tr truly remarkable mm -hmm. that she's maintained it since that day. Mm -hmm. So what happened was, this was in April of 97, right? And the only reason I remember this is because, one, my birthday is in April, but two, because the next three months were incredibly defining of the rest of my life. Yeah. My mom got back in mid-July of 1997 
the family unit, right, was really, really broken up at that point because everything had just been blown up and now we were trying to put it back together. And This fateful day, I'll never forget it, we were going to get lunch. I was 12 years old. We were walking out of the house and the phone started ringing. This was back before cell phones. My mom said, let the voice machine get it. We'll just screen it and see who it is. And we were at the front door and we were just getting ready to walk out and the answering machine clicked on, you know, and you hear your little message play and and then it clicks over to whoever's calling on the phone and, and it was a police officer from the city of Newburgh and they were like, hey, we're at a scene of an accident and we believe one of your relatives may have been involved. If you could come down here, it would be really helpful. So we get in the car and we drive across town and I'll never, like, I can still remember exactly where I was and when it clicked. And in the middle of the road, I could see my great grandmother's purse. And I knew that she'd been hit by a car. Wow. A little bit speechless, but. I can't even imagine that scene, the phone call, any of it. So we actually have gone over on our time for part one, and we are going to continue this in part two, and so I hope you guys join us. Thank you guys for opening up with us. We'll see you soon. Hey!